Hello, thank you for joining us. This is What Counts by Trailblazer Consulting. In this podcast, we highlight proven solutions that we have developed through our experience working with companies across various industries. And we talk about how you can apply them to your company. We share our experience working with companies to solve their information management challenges. We tackle records retention schedules, program implementation and training, and more complex challenges like asset data management. This is Lee. And in this episode, Moore and I will continue to talk to the risks that we encounter at client organizations, particularly risks associated with manual processes and workarounds. Thanks, Lee. This is Mora, and I was thinking back to our last discussion where we were all over the place talking about all the risks that you might find during an assessment. And I loved that conversation because it was so real and so reflective of how we go through this process in every assessment. So we start doing the interviews, we start looking at the existing policy documentation and all the other things that we have talked through in previous episodes about how to do an assessment. And you start to get a sense of what's going on. How is this company working? And if you're in-house and you're working inside your company and you start doing an assessment, I think you might be surprised about some things you'll find. And as you start to kind of pull all those pieces together, you start to see risk everywhere. And it, it's one of those overwhelming things at first. Oh my gosh, we've got a problem with email. We've got a problem with out-of-date data. We've got a problem with old stuff in our offsite storage. How do we start? Right, And we have a retention schedule that nobody pays attention to. Yeah. Or even maybe knows about. Like I remember a, a company where we specifically asked that question of every person that we talked to. Do you know that there is a retention schedule? And only about 40% of the company knew that there even was one. <laughs> and in other organizations, not that one in particular, but more recently, other organizations, if you talk about the retention schedule with most users, you end up getting, oh, yeah. So and so sends boxes to offsite storage. And they really think that in a lot of cases, the retention schedule applies only to paper records. And that's always, as we start to do an update to a retention schedule, that always is one of the big education points that we bring to people is this isn't just about paper, it is about your email, your systems, and stuff out on your share drives. So, but I don't want to get too down that too far down that track today. <laughs> I agree. Uh, well, let me just add one thing though before we get off the subject about retention schedules. One best practice that we were involved with setting up is there was an internal audit organization at a company that we worked for, and we had questions added to their audit questions that were about the retention schedule. So it was important. It was part of a management action plan then to make sure that that department was using the schedule and any other department that the audit, internal audit would audit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. I loved it when we did it. And also I love the way that it worked out because we worked, we ended up working with that organization for many years and we watched them use that audit function to really do the monitoring of were people following the retention schedule. And that group is one of the more successful that I've seen in actually applying retention to their unstructured content out on share drives because they have a whole electronic deletion process and approval process for that. And it involves both the business and IT and the records and legal departments to approve those, those deletions. So it's not perfect, 
I would say I've never seen a perfect records organization anywhere. And maybe perfection is not what we should strive for, but they have, they're actively managing their electronic data on their SharePoint site, on their share drives. And that's a big step forward from where they started and from where a lot of companies are. Yeah. I didn't mean to have us continue down that path, but I didn't, I just wanted to mention it. Well, it's a really uh, actually interesting um, corollary observation I'm going to go with that. And I think I said it last time, when we come up with a solution or an idea, what are we going to do in the first phase of implementation after we have done the assessment, figured out the risks, figured out the priorities? Typically, the solutions end up addressing more than one risk. They touch different parts of the company because the flow of information through a, through a business, the, through the organization, and the way that that information supports your different business processes and how they fit together it is inherently integrated. And so the more we can coordinate on solutions, the more we raise the whole thing up instead of trying to hit just one thing at a time. That's a good point. Agreed. All right. So I wanted to talk today about email as part of a manual business process and the workarounds that people come up with to accomplish their jobs without depending on a system or a central solution, whether that central solution exists, well, I guess using the word workaround, we're implying that it exists um, and that it doesn't, that they don't like it. <laughs> so that is one of the areas that the combination of manual business process, storing information in email, because you're trying to collect stuff just one by one manually as you're talking to people and working around a central system or repository because it doesn't give you what you need to actually finish your business process. That is a whole host of risk for people. Would you agree? I totally agree. I mean, workarounds are a manual process that an employee sets up to facilitate whatever work they need to get accomplished, right? It's set up because that current process is, is just doesn't provide the information that they want. And I mentioned this some time ago in one of our episodes where there's uh, an Excel spreadsheet, notorious. I, we, I, we agreed that it's Excel is notorious for being the workaround item or collection of data. But if this, this particular spreadsheet, they wanted asset production reports for management. And the application itself only reported on a consolidated basis. Senior management was fine with the consolidated basis, but individual asset managers needed to know more details about their particular asset. So they would take the consolidated report and they would break it down into their the asset they managed. That may not even be correct, to be honest with you, because they were using their own formulas to come up with some of the statistics for their individual asset. There's 10 assets, so let's divide the whole number by, by 10. Well, right then and there, that may be an incorrect formula for the spreadsheet. So I think- Yeah, and I, if I could jump in, the individual asset manager, so the manager of a plant or a facility or um, a, a pipeline, a wind farm, something like that, those individual asset managers know things that aren't necessarily reflected in the financial data. They know, for instance, that 
one turbine was down for half the time or three turbines were down for half the reporting period. So if you divide by six, you're showing an, uh, you're showing an unreal picture of what's being produced because in fact, you only had three going, for example, three turbines going. That knowledge that gets that idiosyncratic knowledge that ends up in these spreadsheets, that's a risk for the company, I think. What do you think? I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to say it's wrong, but the probability of those numbers being incorrect is very large. So I think it's the probability is no matter if the number is correct, there's no traceable data to support it. So the farther you are away from the time, the harder it is to understand where the number came from. So if you have a partner, a joint venture partner in your organization and you, you jointly own different assets and you present to them each month the performance and the revenue, and then at the end of the year, you're presenting a tax bill that they're respons- partially responsible for based on revenue, and they have a question. So you try and trace it back, and the fact that there were adjustments made from a spreadsheet and not system level, you know, platform level system data being integrated, being validated, and uh, where adjustments are made, there's a journal entry, there's traceability, there's reason that gets trapped in an email chain (laughs) where you go back and forth with the asset owner and they say, you know, at the time that this happened for the first report or the, or the second month out when they're doing a settlement and say, oh no, that was wrong. Remember this happened. So here's the real number. And it's buried in this email chain with three spreadsheets attached to it. And that's valuable data that supports the tax bill that you've presented to your joint venture partner. But how do you find it? Well, that's a good question. How do you solve these workaround issues? Yeah, I think it's what work did you do to set that up, to set up how you were going to capture this data? And we've seen a lot of times the finance department drives the chart of accounts, drives the setup of the accounting system. The operations team is creating the asset you know, performance reporting data process and if you don't match those up, then it's very hard to report off of them. So we're talking a lot about data here today. We started out talking about manual process (laughs) and email and workarounds. If you're talking about a data heavy organization, it drives you back to the data side because spreadsheets, as you said, are a key mechanism for people to do a workaround process. They're supposed to use the finance system and the asset management system to produce the formal reports. They can't because they don't match or they produce reports out of them, but to get the real picture, they have to do some manipulation. They add in their own, you know, out of system knowledge into the spreadsheet and that's a workaround. And so the the risk is real because you don't have that traceability. You're also depending on individuals putting knowledge down into a spreadsheet and documenting it. It's not self-documenting like it is in a system. So 
The question then is how big a problem is that for you? What's it costing you? And where should, and it, should that become one of your priorities? We're not going to go di- deeper into that today because we have a whole risk around master data. We want to take a deep dive on that and that would be too much for now. But I want to suggest a different type of workaround that brings up a different risk. And that's on the document side. So if you're internal to an organization, you can share documents in your share drives or your SharePoint sites. If you are working with somebody outside your organization, typically you're depending, well, you're depending on the internal point of contact to get the documents from the external partner, whether it's a contractor, especially a construction contractor, because those files tend to be big. And so path one, there's an email happening all the time. External contractor is emailing big documents to internal point of contact. And then that internal point of contact has to manually move them into whatever repository you've said, content management system, a file share, wherever else you're putting it. Or they leave it in their email, which gets us back to our email problem. The other workaround that often happens is external contractor and internal point of contact set up some kind of third-party document storage location, and they don't tell anybody. So it's a Dropbox or a box site, and it's free, or the contractor hosts it. And then you have a problem because now you've got your records sitting in this third-party location, minimal security, and security over which you really have no control. Your IT department isn't part of this. You're still responsible for all that data. You can't apply retention to it. And you're depending on that internal point of contact to know it's there, to do something with it, and to make sure that it gets inside your organization. And that's a huge risk because those convenient Dropbox or Box, that type of third party, just drop a file in to share it, they have their, their controls are not very granular. You can't identify things by a record category and reply retention there. It's actually really hard to migrate stuff out of there. It's a manual process to get stuff out of those boxes. Somebody's doing it one at a time or a few at a time because they have access, they need it. So that area of risk goes alongside the email manual process risk, but sharing information in these non-standard ways and storing it in unapproved locations, we've seen that over and over and over again as being a huge risk for companies. So when we get to the solution, you got to think about why are they doing it? Why are people doing this? Either one of these things. They're creating spreadsheets because the systems of record are hard to integrate. You can't get the the true picture of what's happening by looking at the the finance system plus the asset management system. So they're creating a spreadsheet. They're dropping files in third-party host locations because it's too hard to share that information with external parties in any other way. So thinking about those needs is going to really drive your solutioning. 
So I agree. Uh, I've stunned you, <laughs> stunned you into silence. Uh, <laughs> um, so what do we do with this information? We think about one, how big is this problem? How much is it going to hurt if something happens? And we've in the past, you worked with clients to go through a, you know, risk tolerance assessment. What's the probability of the risk? What's the impact? And what's the, the willingness of the organization to accept that risk? And the combination of, you know, the outcome of that assessment tells you where this should be in your priority list. How much are you going to spend to fix this problem? And then that helps you figure out, it helps you figure out the priorities. And the second piece then is, okay, they're doing it for a reason. And it's not just to be difficult. People are not going out of their way just to cause trouble for the records manager. So why are they doing it? And what kind of internal solutions, approved solutions can you put in place that will protect your records, but also meet the business needs from a process standpoint? And let's, let's not steer people in the wrong direction. We're not looking to lock down absolutely everything and create an organization that doesn't even have access to the internet, right? That's, that's not the way people can live. But we are looking to bring awareness to some of these workarounds, some of these shadow repositories, because people are storing records in those repositories and they're forgetting about them. They're not applying retention. It's going to be out there. And the problem is going to come when, you know, litigation is looking for them. That's in some organizations, it takes that. It takes being stung by litigation to actually start paying attention to some of these things. And that's what Moore is talking about. Do you want to do the risk profile of your organization? It says we don't care until something happens or do we care and what and to what extent? And so we need to lock down a couple pieces here and there. Yeah, that tension between locking things down so they're secure and opening them up so people can do their jobs, that's a constant tension. And it ends up providing a good kind of outline for how do you set solutions in place, which will take us nicely into some solutioning discussions in, a, in an, another episode or two. Okay. So that, that, that sounds like a break to me. If there's any questions, please uh, send us an email to info at trailblazer.us.com. That's info at trailblazer.us.com. Thank you for listening and please tune in to our next episode. Thank you, Lee. And thanks everyone. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.